0: welcome to dig it this is edge with my co-host the speaker and Corey from Corey stiggs how are you guys doing
1: good glad doing to have good,
0: you doing good how about you doing good glad to have you back speaker
1: yeah, it's nice to be back at the pop in every now and then
0: yeah and
2: Let's i can't wait. you guys
1: don't forget me
0: <laughs>
2: we would never forget you <laughs> I can't wait Never. to hear updates on australia it's been a while
1: yeah oh, yeah great i just well, came here to gone. vent and bitch really so i was like hey i'll join you guys, join you guys lots
0: going on in australia yeah we definitely need to hear an update and before we get started i wanted to mention that last week we had uh mentioned that dr Merkula was going to be joining us this week and he had a scheduling conflict and uh, he's going to be joining us next week, So, uh, but we are definitely glad to have you here this week, Speaker, to share some important updates on Australia. So we're going to I'm, get into that.
1: I'm filling in. I'm not a doctor, but I will
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to have to talk about this whole monkeypox outbreak, yep. as well as the World Health Assembly meeting this week and the World Economic Forum meeting this week. But I thought I would just hand it on over to you, Speaker, um, since you know we're so glad to have you back. Let's hear all about what's going on lately in Australia.
1: Um, yeah, so we had a federal election uh, last week, which was a uh, big thing here. It was coming for a while. Uh, so our two major parties are the Coalition, which is the Australian Liberal Party. Now, our Australian Liberal Party is your Conservative Party. So let's let's clear that up. Okay. And our Labor Party is your Liberal Party. It's the best way I can kind of explain it. Okay. Um, Coalition got crushed. Absolutely crushed. So uh, that is a Scott Morrison government, which we had. Now, I think there is uh, reasons why this happened. I I had a feeling it was going to happen. Uh, one on the back that Scott Morrison wasn't a great leader um, for the coalition. Like we've, we've had some of it last year, but Scott Morrison kind of walked that tightrope. He agreed with a lot of things that, you know, people didn't put him in there to agree with. And it, it definitely disenfranchised a lot of voters. Now, Anthony Albanese, who was the opposition party leader, who is now the prime minister, um, Took 75 seats rather quickly. The coalition only took 57 seats. But all in all, the big takeaway from this is a lot of people turning away from the major parties, which is good in a way. The, it, the The big winners here, and I hate to say it, but I have to say it, were the Greens and the Teal. Now, I don't know if you have the Teal terminology in your politics, do you? No. No. So the Teal um, uh, the independents. Okay. Uh, they're yeah, they're the teal branch. Now, the independents managed to take ten seats in the lower house, which absolutely cut out a lot of liberal seats and cut out a lot of labor seats. Um, to to a degree, so the greens and the teals actually their boosted numbers were ridiculous. I mean, the Greens saw boosts of two or three percent in every state. It was was, it's really hard to see because I don't don't think a lot of people know this, but a vote for the Greens is a vote for Labour. They work synonymously hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that gives them a large ban of the government now. So it's going to be a very, very tough three years for us. Now, we saw a lot of kind of propaganda that you have over there. And I think a lot of Western uh, countries are going through at the moment. I mean, you had school kids when you drove past their schools, they had signs up saying no more Scott Morrison, no more liberal party, uh, which you see in America too, right? With this, um, with these teachers pushing their agendas on the younger generation. And it's definitely what we're seeing now with the massive green intake. Um, And it's, 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 it's hard to get my head around because, you know, we all kind of want to look at this and try to find other avenues for it. Like, you know, is, is there some sort of fraud going on is, you know, what's going on here. But I think that to like, to look at it in that way now would be just like a a, a copium mechanism. Um, Our elections are very secured compared to yours i guess i mean we need voter ids we get checked off a list it's all very Mm. very like by the boards do you guys
0: use paper ballots or machines
1: uh we use paper ballots um but everything is very regulated everything's very watched and monitored and
0: how long does it take for the like the counting is it usually like you know traditionally the way it's was supposed to be where it's like all counted that day or that night
1: um it's 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 not all counted that day there's still um certain seats coming in they play absolutely no part in what's already happened though um it's just to see who takes the local areas and all that at the moment um <laughs> It, it's just sad. Like, v- Victoria, which in general had a lot of Liberal seats, uh, kind of been whitewashed by Labor and Greens as well. Um, and there's it, there's a few reasons that, you know, I can come up with the takeaway. Now, I'm going to tell you what the Labor government run on, what what they really pushed their four main things that they pushed across now and I think this is significant. Uh, you can call it brainwashing or whatever. Climate change was the really big numbers um, that swayed a lot of these votes. I mean, it's a lot of uh, a reason why a lot of people voted Greens as well. Um, and uh, women in general, like the large amount of the population, went not just left, but really far
3: left.
0: Wow. That's really um, surprising to me, considering the authoritarianism that people have been under for the past two years, um, more so in certain uh, areas like Victoria than in other areas. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just, I'm shocked that people would go even mm-hmm. further left.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as we know, what's, well, what has happened uh, in Victoria that um you know that's run by a by a labor man himself so <laughs> now you've got a whole government at these people
0: yeah i mean i could see the the lashback against morrison because morrison was supposed to be representative of the conservative side and yet he let these authoritarian um really do just anything um regardless of how um oppressive it was and he really did, you know, didn't do anything. He was very weak and ov- obviously compromised. And so I can see how there was probably not a lot of incentive, even for those people who are against the authoritarianism, the oppression, but just not in favor of Scott Morrison.
1: Mm. Oh, definitely. Um, so what Albanese ran on and what, and what he promised and definitely what got him a lot of the younger votes. It's, it's, it's no doubt about it. So his main policies was climate change, stagnant wages, the closing of the gender pay gap, which is not real, um, indigenous recognition and stronger Medicare. Um, Medicare is already quite strong. So I don't know what takeaway that would be, but the main thing that really it was, you know, climate change was a really key concern for voters and, um, and I don't know if that came off, you know, obviously it comes off a lot of indoctrination, but the bushfires that we've had and the flooding that we've had, they've kind of just didn't look at the bigger picture and just thought that was going to fix everything. So that, that that's generally the main big focus that he ran on with the liberals didn't run on at all, really. Um,
0: Which, you know, if they were looking at the big picture, I mean, Coming off of the last two years and realizing how much of a scam everything was and how so many people were duped, you know, it's tough that to, to watch other people get duped again because, you know, we know how they're going to exploit this whole climate change thing for another so-called emergency that requires the <laughs> imposition of more mandates and more lockdowns and more uh, restrictions and everything else.
2: Right?
1: Definitely higher inflation.
0: Absolutely.
1: Which is well, all and targeting
2: at. the businesses to make changes to get in line.
1: Oh, well, 100%. 100%. I mean, he pledged uh, to reach zero emissions by 2050. Of course, it's mm-hmm. what they all run on, right? To keep global warming under two degrees Celsius. Um, he has vowed to make Australia a renewable energy superpower. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and just off the back of that, as soon as Albanese got in, he flew straight to Japan where he met with the quad. Uh, the quad is an organization which is being formed, which is between the US, Australia, India, and Japan, um, to tackle events happening in the Indo-Pacific. So, of course, America has to have a hat sand in that. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely from what we're seeing by China and all that, and especially what Biden said the other week, that if China was to invade Taiwan, that um America would send troops, apparently, which they won't, even if Jonah did. And that would go the same thing for Australia and Japan. Um so it's it's like from seeing that straight after this happened. Um, of course, they also had lots of talk on climate change and zero emissions, and, which is you know another bumbling partner for Biden to have. Albanese will. Do everything he says and bend over backwards. You've got another leader in that aspect, sort of like a Macron in France. You've got Albanese in there.
0: Right. So, what is this going to mean for the general population? Higher gas prices, of course. Higher gas
1: prices, higher inflation. Higher, higher prices will rise. It's, uh, it, it's more taxation. A, uh, more taxation. It's going to be a huge burden on businesses, especially small businesses, that is going to be hit. With these, um, oh, whatever bullshit taxes or uh, carbon or whatever the hell they want to put on these businesses, which they will, which will hurt the smaller businesses than does the larger businesses. So this is uh, this is where we're at, and it's just the honest, uh, the honest picture of it that so many Australians have gone really, really left. On, on, on these policies, which is, wow. yeah, it's hard to grasp, but it's just, that's the reality of it, right? And I don't...
0: What are your term term is limits? Is. is it, what is the term? It's five years or four years?
1: Um, It's, Australian's are a bit iffy. It, it's generally three to four years, but elections can get called randomly. It's quite weird. Mm.
0: Okay. All right. So we're but, but it
1: it is generally those uh, between those those minutes, yeah. So three years is kind of the minimum and they they make a date to for an federal election after three years.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So the next few years gonna get tougher for Australia, it seems.
1: Uh definitely, you know. Well, um uh, It it's it's also funny because uh Albanese, one of the first things he did was um, to tell China to um, please stop and lift the trade bans. So he asked very nicely. It
0: was, oh, he asked yeah. nicely. Well, yeah, that he asked work very out.
1: nicely. If only the last government, <laughs> you know, did that, maybe we would get somewhere. And <laughs> China's come back with um, actually, you know, a, a bit of a scathing comment to this Quad union. Um, kind of just shooting them a little bit saying that you know just be a little bit careful because you kind of have a NATO situation here do you know what I mean it's the US going further into the Indo-Pacific uh, trying to put their boots everywhere um, trying to build alliances and coalitions which these countries see as a threat mm-hmm. China will see it as a threat just like Russia seen it with, as a threat with NATO so I mean if you want to try to deal escalate these wars you're not going the right way about it
0: no we've certainly seen a lot of escalation uh definitely in both areas mm-hmm. and you know with china and, and and russia so uh yeah i would anticipate to expect more of the same um yeah. i know there was another um there was a question that cory brought up before we started recording and it was about this agricultural beer bill um that they're trying to pass in victoria that got a lot of uh just so got talked about a lot on social media and um so i know that you're not uh, incredibly familiar with this bill I'm or anything either. but yeah it, it just kind of went viral that this bill was going to essentially cause uh people individuals to no no longer grow food and so they have um you know responded to that um of course they wanted to say look you know of course they sent out their fact checkers to (laughs) to shoot this down (laughs) really quickly
2: so so the real story is okay
0: yeah uh, there's a lot of conflicting information um Mm -hmm. on social media so it's hard to get to the real story but it looks like um, this bill in Victoria, the, the claims on, on social media were that people weren't going to be able to grow food. Fact quickly came out and jumped on it saying the claim was false. But I think the answer uh, you know, in the middle. The, in the, the, claim. Uh-huh. the claim is somewhat of an oversimplification. I think that people do have every right to be worried about the government uh, controlling the food supply, given the authoritarianism they've faced for the past couple of year, years. Um, this bill does seem to add Add more layers of bureaucracy over farmers and ranchers and does appear to allow officers to um, to inspect properties and take samples of them with a warrant um, unless of course they're out in the bush and, and you know in the middle of nowhere and the property owner isn't around then they can just come on the property and inspect it without a warrant I'm just reading here Um, Because, see, they're trying to debunk the, you know, these claims or whatever, and then to say what the actual bill is. But when you look at the actual bill, it's still a little concerning um, that there's going to be officers who are given warrants to be able to check on um, certain properties, uh, I'm assuming farms and ranches, Uh, in order to make sure that those are in compliance as far as safety standards go. And um, so that is a little bit concerning. Uh, Of course, this is all about protecting the environment and the food supply, but it appears that, yes, it's also just really an attempt to centralize more control by the big government of the food supply. And do I think that this means that you can't grow food on your own? No. In fact, we've talked time and time again, definitely please do grow your own food. That's a great way wherever you are. And to, save those
2: seeds. Yes, to
0: insulate yourself from whatever supply, food supply chain uh, events that could occur. So, however, do I think that this may mean that farmers and ranchers are gonna receive visits from officers to inspect their properties? Yeah. I think so, and we've definitely seen an abuse of power by law enforcement in Australia over the past couple of years, haven't we? Mm,
1: yeah, just well seems like coming- a massive branch of privacy
2: i mean they're they're gunning for the whole every angle every you know every <clears throat> part of the process of the food supply chain and food production food security delivery from the you know from from seed to your plate they are pulling out all the stops on governing and controlling this so so we know we know where this is headed yeah working on a book on this right now so uh, so yeah it's it's concerning
0: yeah important to keep an eye on it and i think that Um, Getting that kind of viral exposure, no matter how accurate that claim was, at least there's a lot of eyes here on this agricultural bill, because who knows what the original wording was or whatever, you know, Um, they, they could could possibly have backed off of a lot of the language in there um, because of the amount of exposure that they got on it. And right. so, but they're going to be slippery, of course, and um, try to, you know, gloss over and make it seem not as as authoritarian as possible. But it seems like, you know, definitely something to keep an eye on.
2: Right. All right, let's roll into monkey pucks. We got so much to cover out and how we're going to cover all this. Yeah. Okay. Is that where we're at now? Monkey yep. dog? Okay. So I just want to lay out some facts first before we discuss this whole wonderful shit show. Um, so they're alleging right now that there's roughly 250 cases across 16 countries, with a few of those being in the U.S. It's not very transmissible, and it's a mild disease, similar to influenza, but with rashes and blisters. The symptoms usually go away within two to four weeks on their own. So UC UC Davis is alleging that the current strain is less severe with a 1% mortality rate. Uh, They all, however, are pushing the vaccines as a treatment. So you're not going to hear any media sources saying, don't worry, it's very mild, just write it out, you're going to be fine, or here's what you can do, you know, to, to treat yourself. You really don't need a vaccine. Now, here's the other thing. According to the CDC, they say the smallpox vaccine is at least 85% effective against monkeypox. And the U.S. has one antiviral and two FDA-approved vaccines, which I covered in my timeline that we'll go over in a minute. So anyone who was born before 1980 already has the smallpox vaccine. And they're not saying that. Instead of mentioning that fact, they're saying... The CDC, the CDC says that persons exposed to monkeypox virus and who have not received the smallpox vaccine within the last three years should consider getting vaccinated. Interesting. Then they go on to say the monkeypox is a serious disease. And this is, this is the twist they always throw in. And I always have to fact check them because it drives me nuts with their damn statistics, they lie consistently. So they say monkeypox is a serious disease, it causes fever, headache, muscle aches, backache, swollen lymph nodes, a general feeling of discomfort, exhaustion, and severe rash, studies of monkeypox, <clears throat> and they have to bring up Africa, right? Of course, not, not what's happened over here. But let's let's focus on Africa, and let's focus on the worst numbers. And let's focus on The worst numbers all the way back to the 1980s to try to scare people. So they say studies of monkeypox in Central Africa, where people live in remote areas and are medically underserved, show that the disease killed one to 10% of people infected. So even the WHO puts on their fact sheets, three to 6% in endemic countries. Now, if you go to the study, I think you have it on your next tab okay, I pulled this study and I'm not going to get into the whole thing because it's, it's, um, it's really trying to work against us anyways. But the point I wanted to make here is on the chart, they get into the countries, um, how many suspected cases, total deaths, you know, the percentage of the uh, case fatality rate. And they, they summarize this by stating the often quoted 10% Case fatality rate number comes from early 1981 through 1986 data of 33 deaths out of a 338 case, cases during the time uh, all deaths occurred in unvaccinated individuals. In contrast, ISDR data from the DRC between 2001-2013 show overall CFR, which is case fatality rate, are consistently under 5%. CFR from countries with the WA virus, which the WA is just a a strain of it. Um, And they cover the CB strain in this as well. And we're mostly 0% for outbreaks with one to four cases. The CFR for the Nigeria outbreaks was 2.8%. The CFR was 0%, excuse me, in the U.S. outbreak of 47 cases, which was back in 2003 no deaths have been reported from the april 2018 outbreak in cameroon or from the most recent outbreak in the central african republic so but by all means the cdc needs to put one to 10 percent right (laughs) death rate it drives me nuts absolutely drives me nuts
0: so Scare scare tactics
2: Right. And 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 so aside from their their obvious fear mongering on their page here, what I did find interesting though is I scanned their uh Twitter feed and they only actually, it was about maybe five or six days ago mentioned a case they were investigating that appeared in Massachusetts. And so I thought that was interesting that they weren't hammering it more. Their their whole timeline is still packed full of COVID-related stuff. So However, I did come across a recall on Jiffy peanut butter, so people should be <laughs> aware of that.
1: Love uh, peanut butter.
2: I know peanut butter. <laughs> so, so the other, the only other time the U.S. saw a monkeypox outbreak was in 2003, where no one died. There was no human-to-human transmission. Uh, people contracted it from infected pet prairie dogs. They were. Uh, had something to do with uh, rats that were happened to be shipped out and they were around these prairie dogs. So, so the panic over this, the amount of fear they're stoking is, is painting quite the picture, you know? Right. So they're trying to keep people in this perpetual state of panic to, to through the need for why we need the who in charge and in the meantime they're capitalizing on this through vaccines through shares in -hmm. these pharma companies Mm
0: -hmm. and so got to keep the health emergency going because it is a money maker for everyone
1: because we need them remember we need them right Mm
0: we we need
2: them Mm -hmm. (laughs) so (laughs) So back in 2017, Bill Gates' famous quote: "The next epidemic could originate on the computer screen of a terrorist intent on using genetic engineering to create a synthetic version of the smallpox virus." These people, I tell you, there's something else. So back in November 18th, I did a timeline on um, saying smallpox threat or false flag, a telling timeline, and it was two days after the reports of the 15 vials of uh, smallpox, which. So they're in like the similar family, the, the, I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I don't want to get into detail here, but smallpox monkeypox in similar family virus, which is why they're saying the vaccine can, can treat monkeypox, but they're very, very different, very different. And monkeypox is, is totally mild in comparison. And even, uh, I even saw a clip on CNN the other day where they had a, Some medical professional on and even he was saying that I was like wow CNN's actually letting this air so uh comparing it to like influenza is what they compare it to all right so I just want to roll through these this this timeline real fast so people understand um although of course you know people that are listeners are probably well aware of the of the uh, staging and coordinated events to roll this out um, and and miraculously bring this in line just in time for the you know who debacle and Davis and all that good stuff that Edge is going to cover. So <clears throat> I'm just going to read the headlines here real quick. So we know that in June 22nd, 23rd, 2001, they simulated a covert smallpox attack dubbed Dark Winter. Okay, September 4th, 2007 the FDA-licensed Sanofi Pasture Biologics Company's ACAM2000 smallpox vaccine. In 2014, six vials of smallpox were found in a cardboard box in a cold storage room at NIH. Uh, also, same time, Bill Gates, Chimerics, Wellcome Trust, Oxford University, and FDA uh, work on the future smallpox treatment. 2017, uh, this is October 2017. Emergent BioSolutions finalized their acquisition of ACAM 2000, which was Sanofi's, right? Smallpox vaccine business from Sanofi. And we'll talk more on Emergent BioSolutions after this. July 13, 2018, FDA approved SIGA Technologies, another one that's going up in shares right now. Uh, TPOX, the, it's T-P-O-X-X, the first drug with an indication for treatment of smallpox. Uh, September 10, 2018, SIGA Technologies signs a multi-year TPOX contract with BARDA for up to $625 million, which they badly needed at that time. September 3, 2019, Emergent Biosolutions was awarded a 10-year HHS contract valued at approximately $2 billion to deliver ACAM 2000 smallpox vaccine into the strategic national stockpile. Hmm. September 16, 2019, a Russian lab that is only one of two labs in the world known to store live samples of the variola virus, which causes smallpox, had an explosion. Uh, September 24, 2019, FDA approved Bavarian, Bavarian Nordics, uh, gosh, is it Genios? Genios? Yeah. The first live non replicating vaccine to prevent smallpox and monkeypox. November November 15, 2019, FDA issues final guidance for development of smallpox treatment as part of critical preparedness efforts. Now, <clears throat> the funny part to all of this is how long has it been? Like, I'm trying to remember. What year was it? Uh, well, after 1980, they stopped with the smallpox vaccines because it had been just completely eliminated, but yet they're gearing up heavily, right. as you can see, for all of this, Right. Cause it's somehow going to just come back. So, uh, June 25th, 2020 Siga technologies delivers another 32 million in oral t to HHS March 11th. Uh, nah, that one's kind of irrelevant to this. Uh, June 4th, 2021 FDA approved first ever antiviral treatment for smallpox Chimerix's Tembexa, uh, that's the one I spoke about earlier with Bill Gates' Welcome Trust, that they funded this back in 2014. July 29, 2021, SIGA Technologies announced its collaboration with Oxford University to expand use of T-pox to treat monkeypox in Central African Republic. So that was just last year. Uh, October 31st, 2021, Joe Biden signs executive order designation to exercise authority over the national defense stockpile. That's a whole thing I'm not going to get into. November 9th, 2021, Bill Gates again warns governments of a smallpox terror attack while requesting tens of billions for research and development. Then, uh, let's see, November 16th, 2021, 15 alleged files of smallpox found at Merck facility in Pennsylvania. And then the very next day, the second U.S. case of monkeypox this year's discovered, well, that year, last year, discovered in Maryland. So... so this case of monkeypox was actually discovered, you know, in Maryland. The thing is, is it's like not transmissible um, except for through, you know, they're saying like close. sexually and through saliva. I mean, very right, very right. close contact. It's right. not a human to human type thing. Typically, um, comes from animals. So so now we move into this, you know, these simulations. The simulations are the tell-all. These people run simulations on how they're going to carry this stuff out, and miraculously, even hit the the timelines, the de- you know, of when it's going to roll out for real. Wow!
0: I know it, it is stunning. It's astonishing how they were able to predict it with such close oh, proximity.
1: The, the blueprints there. The lead-up was there. <laughs> right. Right. Mm, right. If you're looking close enough, you saw the path, like Corey did, and you so have it. If- yeah.
0: Right. And if people don't know what we're referring to, we're talking about a March 2021 tabletop exercise run by the Nuclear Threat Initiative. And this fictional scenario predicted a monkeypox outbreak on May 15th, 2022, from an unusual lab engineered strain <laughs> released by a terrorist. And members of this exercise included the Bill Gates Foundation, the Chinese CDC General Director or Director General, the UN, the WHO, and some pharma companies, including Merck and Johnson and Johnson. And I found that and interesting. the
2: Rockefeller Foundation and the Wellcome Trust
0: and the, yes, yes, and government
2: officials, we yes, all in on this.
0: Right, right. And I found it interesting that Merck was there um, at this tabletop event. And then the mention of Merck in your report, Corey, in that same year uh, mm-hmm. of there being vials of smallpox in a lab, which were sort of like unexplained or un- not supposed to be there. Um, I,
2: I, yeah, I, I personally think that that was um, to seed people's minds. I don't know that it ever even existed, right. personally.
0: Could, could be, could be. Um, but yeah, this is really interesting this tabletop exercise that they ran and what's happening now um you before you
2: before you go into what's happening now though with the um i just wanted to i just wanted to go back to the emergent bio solutions real quick okay yeah with just just to give people that so so emergent bio solutions you know their shares climbed 12 percent last week and then SIGA climbed 17.1%. Um, Emergent Biosolutions has ties to the 2001 anthrax attacks and has had major quality control issues with the COVID jabs, which led to 400 million doses that they had to discard. So, and they they now hold this monopoly over smallpox vaccines. And SIGA also has had its share of issues as well as um, their and issues and then then they have their t pox you know which is their only product now This their this smallpox treatment and so um i would encourage people to go to whitney webb just did a report on on these two um companies and their connections and the corruption involved there so uh i just wanted to point that out if people want to read more on that uh, it's pretty nefarious stuff here. So, but, but yeah, but going back to this whole simulation edge with, um, you know, uh, a, a, an ultimate goal of wanting to give the who in the UN this authority over countries, multiple, right. multiple, multiple, you know.
0: Right. Key findings from this, um, from this tabletop exercise that they ran um, established the need for the WHO to have some sort of extra mechanism for the UN to have some sort of extra mechanism to be able to react quickly. And then this is coming off right off, you know, the same week where the World Health Assembly is meeting. And part of the the uh, items on the agenda is to give the WHO greater power over sovereign nations uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to act quickly and uh, in the event of any kind of so-called emergency that they declare. Right.
2: Right, without any evidence. If they declare it, then that's it. Everybody locked down.
0: Yes, yep. Mm. And then one other thing I want to mention before we move on to more details about this One World Health Assembly uh, meeting is that over on the National Pulse, uh, Natalie Winters had exposed um, a document um, coming out of a study that was done from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And yeah. right, right. <laughs> this joint,
1: man, <laughs> had everything.
0: So apparently, the Wuhan Institute of Virology conducted a study using the genetic sequencing of monkeypox back in February 2022, just months prior to this outbreak. Mm-hmm. And in this sequencing study that they were doing, or this this study that they were doing with the genetic sequencing of monkeypox, uh, they were doing it for the purpose of enabling PCR tests to huh. identify monkeypox. Mm-hmm. Now, why why would the Chinese, after attending this tabletop exercise the year before, and months prior to the outbreak why would they be working on with this path- pathogen in this lab which has a history of course in order to produce a PCR test to detect a virus <laughs> unless they knew there was going to be some sort of outbreak right very curious yeah it's it's mm. and the thing is is i
2: you know so on one hand you go well this is going to fizzle out because it's not it's just not super transmissible. And um and not only that, but it presents in such a way that it builds rashes that, you know, bubble up and turn and get pussy and turn into blisters and whatnot. So it's pretty hard to um say, oh, you have monkeypox, but there's there's no visible symptoms here at all. You know, it's I really think that this is more a push to put the who in power than anything else and to keep people in a constant state of panic. I cannot, I, I just cannot see this continuing on and them trying to build up monkeypox. Now <clears throat> they could eventually try and say smallpox, you know, let's pull out the smallpox card now, but I just can't see the monkeypox withstanding much longer. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it does seem like it would be more just difficult to um, to keep that going. It, it, here's my only caveat, though, is that if this version of monkeypox that's currently going around is, in fact, lab generated, um, then I don't know what it's capable of right I don't know how it's been modified so That's but traditionally point. speaking it's not something that it, that is very transmissible and it does seem to be like it's more of a like you said a tactic to raise again the fear so that they can impose you know what they're trying to impose which is more power to the who
1: more control
0: yes more control yeah mm-hmm. and and
2: they've already um kind of ousted that potential though because even on your bigger media outlets they've said this is a less severe you know it's a pretty mild strain of it so not that they're not going to change and flip i mean we've seen them do that to fill an agenda time and time again but but usually the setup come they come out hard with the setup and then they'll back down and then they'll come out hard again so i don't know we'll keep our eye on it
0: Yeah, but speaking of the World Health Assembly, they were gathered this week, and they've been having meetings all week. They're going up through the 28th, and this was um, in part having to do with several of the amendments, which we have discussed on a a couple of podcasts previously uh, about these amendments that the U.S. had proposed, um, and they were designed to essentially give the WHO more power over the sovereignty of... uh, of countries. Um, but it looks like, and the good thing um, about this is that it looks like the public awareness and the public outrage over this power grab really did force their hand. And it appears as though um, 12 of the 13 amendments that were proposed um, have been taken off the table, meaning like they didn't even reach a consensus. And um, so they're not even bringing them up to a vote. Uh, The final.
2: For now. Until they sneak them in when it's more quiet, most likely.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to get into that. So the final remaining amendment that's still at play here is the 13th one, which is basically so they can move the timeline of enactment up from 18 months to now six months, because again, they're losing time here by dropping these other, like tabling these other amendments. So they're like, you know, trying to gain, I guess, time back. But two other developments that have occurred is that according to a report by um, Sarah Westall, there was actually another proposal snuck in and this um another uh proposal was written up on the on may twenty fourth uh for um like new amendments basically essentially what those other twelve men- amendments that were taken off the table you just but in the same sort of wording here on this new uh set of amendments here so but they this-
2: basically just reworded it
0: yeah i didn't read over and like compare i just know that this was dropped on the 24th and it looks like they're trying to still get those original amendments passed but here's the catch is that under the rules and regulations of the world health assembly you can't just drop amendments you know just drawn up days you know a day before and vote on it you have to give them like four months to review and all of that so if they were to in fact actually vote on this new set of amendments it wouldn't even be it would be in violation of their own procedures basically so 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 we'd
2: be looking at march so so by the time they vote and then they approve it we'd be we'd be looking at 10 months if i'm understanding this correctly
0: Here's what I understand is that it looks like for now what they're doing is since they've tabled 12 out of 13 of those amendments, what they're going to do is they're going to take those uh, those up in a future meeting. And in the meantime, they're creating this sort of working group for international health re- regulations who are going to go around to all the different countries and receive submissions from these member countries on ideas on how the the wording should be in these amendments. And mm-hmm. then that working group is going to be finished in September and the WHA is meeting again in November. So I think that we're going to have to keep an eye on it um, leading up to September, November timeframe and see what they're trying to slip through at that time.
2: Okay, and then November they could vote and they could enact it within six months.
0: That's what I'm what I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. And so if you want more like uh, current updates, a good resource is James Roguski's Sumstack. He's been all over this, watching all of the uh, World Health Assembly meetings. And I've watched some of these meetings this week, which I have to tell you, I mean, it's like so, uh, so much bureaucracy, so much stuff going on that, we're, that they're talking about amendment 14.1-75- z- You know, it's like, like this whole- 24 like, hours
1: of that. And, and, so,
2: <laughs> and just laying on the couch with one of those like ice cold eye masks over her eyes, just it, trying to
0: take like, it all in. <laughs> right, you ha- it's almost as though you have to be an expert on their own language to understand what it is they're actually trying to do and and they purposely make it like that where it's very not very easily consumable by the general public to understand what's going on
1: because then it gets passed and everyone's like when the how did this come up
2: exactly you you know what's interesting too so if they were to enact these that would put us at may next year which is the same time frame they're saying they want to roll out the global digital ids
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, okay. they all work together. But I will say no. one thing that they did get voted on this week at the World Health Assembly is they did vote to reelect Tedros oh, for boy. yet another five-year term. So okay. that should give you an idea of the direction that we're going with regards to the WHA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in mm-hmm. more globalist news... So this week, uh, we had not only the World Health Assembly, but the World Economic Forum gathered in Davos this week. The the self-appointed ruling class met in Davos this week for the 2022 World Economic Forum Conference. They had dozens and dozens of meetings spanning over four days. Of course, Dr. Ebel himself was there to kick it off kick off the event and he was saying in this you know opening speech how the future is built by us and us meaning the davos elites (laughs) yeah by a powerful community as you hear in this group uh we have some means to improve the state of the world And by improve, of course, he just means that they're going to try to transform the world into their dystopian Great Reset vision. So It's
1: just like an evil character monologuing before he tries to destroy the world. Right.
0: (laughs) It absolutely is. And I think that Klaus Schwab did try to not play as prominent a role in the meetings. There were some that he participated in. Um, but I think that they know how, how much bad PR they get um, mm-hmm. by the, because people are aware of the World Economic Forum now right. and the Great Reset now. And so you can tell the way that they're, they're being much more careful this year as opposed to previous years in the way that they very slickly and slyly try to tell to sell their dystopian dream but um, on the agenda of course during these dozens and dozens of meetings were topics of war climate change covid the future any future health emergencies ai and digital currency among others uh, and f- food shortages i don't know if i mentioned that but on the topic of war, of course, Zelensky made an appearance to petition for more funding. i oh, all
2: standing up and applauding for
0: him. <laughs> <laughs> he was petitioning for more funding, of course. And this was after, you know, just off the back of $40 billion, um, mm-hmm. that our corrupt politicians just gave him. But other people had to, you know, put a, a word in about this war with Russia and Ukraine, namely Soros who was in Davos this week talking about
2: now he looks like 150
0: he does doesn't he yeah Uh, yeah talking about this Russia Ukraine conflict how mm -hmm, how it may have been the beginning of a third world war and our civilization may not survive he concluded that we have to defeat Putin as soon as possible yada 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 so a lot of warmongering among some key players in the davos crowd this week other than henry kissinger who basically said in his uh little presentation in in davos this week uh via uh, zoom or whatever um he was saying that ukraine should concede um some territories to russia and so that actually made some headlines people were pissed (laughs) kissinger for saying that Um, but other topics are, you know, of course, climate change and uh, climate alarmists had to rear their ugly heads in Davos this week. John Kerry, Al Gore, Bill Gates, obviously, Uh, Of course. yeah, Kerry, of course, who no doubt flew in on a jet, drove with an entourage and then, you know, came in (laughs) to lecture us about how we are the reason for climate change. It's all our fault. Yes, Um, but Al Gore did give an interesting tidbit. He's said this before in past speeches, but gave some more uh, comments, uh, once again, bragging about his climate trace coalition. So uh, this is important because what he's talking about here is a coalition of, um, what is it, Um, NGOs, universities, AI technology companies. Using data from 300 existing satellites, mm-hmm. plus ground, sea, and air-based sensors, as well as internet data streams. And mm-hmm. they use this to create some machine learning um, algorithms for every single sub-sector of the economy. So basically using this data, they can target countries, businesses, potentially individuals to see... Who are the biggest you know climate offenders in their books and then that can be used as the infrastructure for this whole climate credit score system which they're of course trying to implement for all of us and integrate that into the social credit score system
2: i can totally see this in the future in, in in the court of law you're a climate offender you're facing one to five years in prison for xyz I was just going to
1: say that. How long do you reckon someone gets a jail term for for climate atrocities?
0: Right, right. Um, But I definitely think that it's going to lead to a way of controlling everything we buy, we eat, the way that we travel. Mm -hmm. It's going to impose more taxes, more restrictions, more uh, penalties based off of that, right? Yeah, And another person who um, kind of backed up um, Al Gore's statement or added to that was uh, the Alibaba, Alibaba Group president, Michael J. Evans, or I'm sorry, J. Michael Evans. And he was talking about and boasting about their development of an individual carbon footprint tracker. Which is basically tracking and monitoring everything you buy, everything you eat, where and how you travel, etc. And of course, that's sold to these climate activists who he's speaking to at Davos as a way to monitor your own carbon footprint. Isn't that great? Oh, but, yes. but this kind of tracking and tracing in the hands of governments is exactly the problem. I mean, they want to use this kind of information to build that social and climate credit system that we're warning about. Yep. And the very things that we buy eat, and our and our freedom of movement,
2: these people, man, I'm telling you what There are things I just can't say in here. I'm <laughs> 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 just telling you what
0: well, you know, they had to talk about uh, Covid at the World Economic Forum, and they had to have their darling, the CEO of Pfizer, um on display. But there were a few uh, interesting admissions by the CEOs of both Pfizer and Moderna at hmm. the World Economic Forum, as well as the executive director of Oxfam, which we're going to play the audio on that video here in just a second. Um, but they both admitted that their biggest problem with this jab is compliance compliance. So the Pfizer CEO said that there was this huge drop off of people who were, you know, duped into getting that first jab, but never came back for the second or the third or the fourth. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting here game planning with Klaus Schwab on ways to get people to come back for more. And one of those ways was to market it as a once a year combo jab of the flu and the covid jab because people are already used to getting a yearly flu vaccine so we can just you know combine them and you know are we going He's to
2: been talking about that for a long time there was another one too because i know he always referred to it as like a three in one i don't remember what the third one was there but yeah they've been talking about doing that for a long time
0: Yeah, and you just have to make sure because people going in for a flu jab better make sure from this point forward, you know, uh, that they have informed consent of what exactly is in that. And, you know, for me personally, I've never gotten a flu, you know, vaccine. That's not my thing. Um, I would prefer to just have natural immunity for these things. But if anybody... If
2: if you look up, you know, I've looked up the data points on that and... Over the years, the thing ranges from like nineteen to fifty percent efficacy rate. It's terrible right so I just i don't understand it
0: yeah, yeah not not a not going in for any jabs, whatever they are from this point forward because they were also talking about in the same conversation. Uh, They were talking about the future of mRNA and how the next phase is going to be using mRNA technology for all vaccines or for a large portion of vaccines. So vaccines that people are typically used to taking or giving their children, you know, that for me is a big concern. Are they going to be aware that what they're taking now is not the traditional? It's the mRNA new technology? But that's not there yet. He was saying, you know, this is the next phase. And so, yeah. Yeah. But but another admission from the Moderna CEO, and this was interesting, is he was saying that he's in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. And they (laughs) have a big, big demand problem. They're like networking with all of these heads of countries And same problem everywhere, nobody wants to take them.
2: Right, so let's put who in charge to make it mandatory.
0: Yeah, well that's not
2: gonna fly.
0: It does seem like a bit of winning on our side on getting the the word out right. about the adverse reactions, and you know that you know just having informed consent and all of that. And so, right. yeah, it's good good to see. But I know we wanted to play this audio here.
2: This from, just says it all, right here.
0: Yeah, from that same um, from that same uh, meeting. panel. Yeah. Yeah, panel. Uh, this person here, she is the executive director of Oxfam, and she just lays it out so clearly talking about how COVID has been one of the most profitable products ever, and it has caused this huge financial shift between the multi-multi-millionaires you know, millionaires and billionaires and the uh, the rest of us just making you know consolidating all of that money and power at the top so i'm oh, just going to yeah. play that
3: i think billionaires has been you know unprecedented during the pandemic and there's been several sectors where that has been mostly concentrated and one is in fact the pharma sector because covid has been one of the most um, profitable products ever so That's um, uh, one point to discuss and our report out today is called Profiting from Pain. How those delays in in making this technology available and um, really having people vaccinated early has contributed to that. But has also, as we said earlier, it's not only the direct health um, impacts, but it's the economic, social, um, impacts on all parts of the population, and in reality, an increase in inequality, reversing the trend of the last few years where, you know, inequality had reduced between rich countries and poor countries. Unfortunately, now it has widened, and and the, the statistic we're saying is every 30 hours, um, a new billionaire was minted during the pandemic. Well, every She's not going to get hours. invited
1: back. <laughs> What's that? She's not going to get invited back
0: yeah (laughs) so i i should say that she goes on to say in a later panel talking about global taxation um so she uses this problem that they have created as far as the financial divide between the uber rich and the rest of us to justify a global corporate tax and that tax should be raised not from 15% that they had agreed on last year, but no, we now need a 25% global corporate tax.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's like I was, I was saying to Edge before we started, I said, these people, you know, Gates will sit there and say, oh yes, us billionaires, we need to have, we should be paying higher taxes. And it's such a crack because all they have to do is look at what they might have to pay in, even though they're probably not even paying it in, let's be real. But if they did, they're getting it right back through all their grants. I mean, it's it's like me owning a restaurant and going in and eating there and paying the bill and saying that I just contributed to that restaurant that I own. It's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's a shell and, game.
0: They all right. got their shell games. Yeah.
2: Right. And the whole profiting from pain How's that for a bumper sticker, I tell you?
0: Well, that pretty much sums up the last two years. So, yeah. The other topic this week. More than two. A lot of topics this week on AI and digital currency is this one here. uh, Making some headlines. They were talking on this panel. They discussed about advances that they're making. Pilot programs that are being run right now. And they did speculate um, you know, on the rollout to consumers an estimation of three to five years for a digital central bank digital currency uh, rollout and quicker on the wholesale side and then later mm-hmm. coming down to the retail side, meaning retail side, meaning us, the consumers.
2: Did they happen to bring Fink into any of these meetings?
0: You know what? I didn't see Fink. I'm kind of surprised oh. I didn't yeah. see Fink this year interesting so
2: years i think it's going to be sooner than three to five years
0: yeah i was kind of thinking the same thing too they seem to be pushing it but i know that it's really uh it's a big big undertaking so um but yeah i was i was definitely thinking sooner than five years i was thinking more along that two to three year time frame but that was just my best guess
2: yep yep I agree. I don't think they're going to wait five years. Well, thanks for sitting through all that, Edge. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a huge favor. I wasn't going to do it.
0: Well, there's some interesting tidbits that happened outside the World Economic Forum this week. I don't know if you guys saw that the cops were intimidating uh, Jack Posobiec. Um, who was at the World Economic Forum? In oh, Davos. yeah, what was
2: that about? I saw some bleep go by about that, but I haven't I haven't been on social media much recently.
0: Yeah, apparently these are there's these cops walking all around Davos, the security, you know, running security for these elites and so forth, and they are carrying a badge that says World Economic Forum on them. And so there was a lot of speculation. Like, is this a whole police? force that is not even accountable to you know the state or you know are they completely separate or are they part of the you know of Davos right. police force itself what's the deal um, but yeah so these police this police force um, has been walking around some of them with these world economic forum, forum badges apparently they had gotten some sort of tip that Jack Posobiec was you know A troublemaker and so (laughs) they surrounded him and you know questioned him for a while and that sort of thing of course it's just an intimidation tactic tactic right used to chill the speech of these independent journalists who are out there avi yemeni and some other members from rebel news have been out there reporting doing some great reporting from outside of the uh, world economic forum conference but excellent and then, of course, you have the New York Times and Reuters and all of these, you know, fake news outlets who were invited to Davos. Of course. They
1: <laughs> got a front row seat. Right. Friend, huh? Yes. Yeah, big,
0: <laughs> big difference on the way they're reporting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, so. yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that pretty much concludes everything we wanted to talk about today. Speaker, so good to have you back.
1: It's good to be back. Glad to chat with you guys.
0: Yeah, thanks guys, and please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you back next time, right here on Digit.